I do have to say that conversation, I do have to say that conversation breaker upper is probably the worst part of the job description here. Um, so it always breaks my heart. It's like, hey, hang out, and then we've actually got to come back and do some things as well. So um, I will say the, the level of engagement uh, to us, at least to myself, is very much an indicator, uh, just as much as we sing and do some other things and what we consider worship, the level of engagement and just engaging each other's lives is, for me, just as important. So it's really beautiful. Um, money work, sexuality, the body. This is the train we're on from the first Sunday, second Sunday in January, all the way through Epiphany, which we're, I forget what Sunday in Epiphany we're in, but we're, Epiphany is winding down here into Lent and towards Easter. Money, work, sexuality, the body. What we're going to do for the next few weeks is we are going to look at a theology of work. And the goal is, is to take some time and just slow down and look at what the scriptures actually say around what you and I do with our lives in work and vocation. And so we're going to talk about work, we're going to talk about vocation, what this means for us if we are followers of Jesus, how we live this out differently. A guy named Tom Nelson put it like this. He said this, he's a pastor. He said, as a pastor... I regret that I have often given minority attention to what most of us do with the majority of our time. I regret I've given minority attention to what most of us do with the majority of our time. And we talk a lot about spiritual disciplines and prayer and community together. All these things are important in our lives as the Jesus community. But what about where you and I spend the majority of our time week in and week out, right? It's said that a third of our lives will be working at our jobs and in our vocations. And, you know, what's often missed is, you know, I know there's like an intensity sometimes with the church to like build a great church and build a good community and follow Jesus together. And I am in on all of that. But sometimes we fail to ask the question, what about our everyday lives? What about what you and I do with every single day, right? Are gatherings in the church more spiritual than what you and I do nine to five or whatever, seven to seven, some of you, and some of you is probably longer than that, and you need to come to Jesus at the end of this. We'll talk about that. I'm just joking. You know, it said that the average person will work 80,000 hours in their lifetime, and unfortunately, sometimes what the church does is we just kind of put a blind eye to the reality of what you and I are doing in our ordinary, everyday lives. Are you out there? Yeah. You with me? Um, I know from just rubbing shoulders with people in this beautiful community that there are questions around this. Uh, even in the last few weeks, the majority of my time with people in our community has been spent over some coffees talking about vocation and wrestling through, like, what do I do if I have a cr kind of a crappy job, but I have this desire to do something great with my life? All of these are beautiful questions. Many of you are students, some of you are students, and you're right now in the throes of your program. Some of you wondering, am I in the right program? And um, where is my life going? All of these things are things that we're just going to really take time to look at over the next few weeks. Sound good? You okay? Okay, with that, open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. 
You're like, it's going to be a day. Don't worry, we're just going to be in Genesis, okay? Some of you are like, Genesis 1. The plan is, is to look at the creation narrative over the next few minutes and just see if there's actually a theology of work. Now, I know there's people that differ on this. There are some people that say it's a far stretch to actually pull out from the creation, the Hebrew creation account, that there's a theology of work. Um, I'm not one of those people. I think the pages of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are dripping for us in the reality of the way in which life ultimately should have been, and work is a part of this. So, page one says this, you know this, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. Interesting here, amongst all that we want to kind of quibble about in kind of a post-scientific world, you know, there's so much talk right now about the age of the earth and all that stuff. It's fascinating that this Hebrew account is not interested in that as much as it is in some ways describing a God where our first glimpse of him is what? What is he doing? He's working. He's creating. From the very beginning of Scripture, we see that the one true God is not sitting on a couch. He's not a couch potato God, nor did he create a couch potato world. We get the image in Genesis 1 of complete shalom uh, in unity, God in unity with people and the earth. And there's this growing together, this, this shalom. There's sex without lust. There's food without gluttony. I often say this. There's wine without alcoholism. There's this shalom and beauty, everything is infusion. Skip down to verse 26 with me of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Go ahead, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea. Have dominion over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, you know in Hebrew this is a poem. There's cadence here. As a Hebrew, a Hebrew reader, you would feel that cadence God is creating. And what does God do? He blesses, because this is what he is like. He blesses. And don't let it be lost on us, because this is what we want to push back to. God blesses and gives human. He blesses them with a job description. The, the, the image we actually get in Genesis 1 is to rule. The Hebrew word is radah. It means to have dominion. And really, the image we get here is that it actually ascribes very kingly language. So you have this God in his temple, the garden, and yet what he places over proto-human, male and female in the garden, is kingly language, is this, this job description to actually rule with him. I don't know if you guys, this, I've, I've shared this illustration before, um, when my kids were younger would read through the Chronicles of Narnia with them. Any Chronicles of Narnia fan? C.S. Lewis' first book, The Magician's Nephew, is this beautiful opening to the story. And I remember reading through with, uh, I think my two older kids, I just gave up by the third. <laughs> That's sad. The fourth, uh, I don't even know his name, so it's all good. Um, 
But <laughs> it's so sad. All these things that were really like, <laughs> I'm just sharing, this is free for me, you know, very intentional things and then Poor Jojo. Um, I'm, I'm just joking. He's going to live a wonderful life. But uh, so we read this book together, and um, there's this part in the story where they're in Narnia, and I love my kids' faces because out of nowhere, Aslan makes the London cab driver and his wife, the nobodies in the story, the king and queen of Narnia. And just, I remember Ava's face, just lighting her. She was like, wait, hold on. Like, the story is going somewhere. And she's like, hold on, what? Yeah, the London cab driver, the nobody in the story becomes, and his wife, who just kind of ends up there kind of out of nowhere, is the king and queen of Narnia, and they would be the ones to rule with Aslan. Brothers and sisters, that is a picture of what we're reading here in the garden. That proto-human is called to actually steward and to rule with God, to actually partner with God in taking the garden, this creation project, and taking it forward. And I think sometimes we miss the reality that as humans, just as human beings, all of us, we are commanded to make something of the world. The image of Genesis 1 actually is that it's a lot of, and this is just my opinion and just reading different scholars, it's a lot of raw materials. And what God's intention was is that proto-humans would multiply and with it they would create and make something of the world. Now, look around for a second. Can you just look out the window for a sec? We've done this. I recently saw... As humans, we've done this. I recently saw a picture of downtown London, and it's fascinating to come into here and sit and look out the window and go, humans have got to it. Building, creating, um, using our hands, our heads, our feet, everything that's within us, that there has been this trajectory of creation and creating and taking forth the, human, uh, the, the garden project. Now, we also know that the goodness of this work is good, right? We see it early on that things go terribly wrong pretty quick. Just flip over a couple of pages. Actually, go to Genesis 2 first. Look down at verse 15. It says this in Genesis 2:15. The Lord God took the man. So uh, Genesis 1 and 2, kind of two creation accounts that we get. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it and to keep it. Uh, the, the, so anybody have a King James version here? No, nobody's. Oh, do you? Have, I love it. So what does it say? What is, it, what is uh, human to do? And what does it say? To, to dress it. I love that. The picture we get here is the word is abad. It's the picture of taking the, the creation project and working and ruling and reigning and dressing it and cultivating it. Now, not to nerd out on you, but there, this is really important, okay? So that word is abad. The Hebrew word avodah, like the noun form of that word, you, there's no test, you don't need to know this, but it's important. The noun form of that word that has the same root as abad can be translated to cultivate or to work. And actually, that word avodah throughout the scriptures, which we kind of get from the root work, throughout the Old Testament is translated the word worship. Worship. Right? So there's a connection, even in the Hebrew writing, 
that work or to dress the garden has this connotation and attachment to humans' worship, right? Oh, we're going somewhere, brothers and sisters, because we have just created a mindset within the church that worship is kind of what we're doing here. And sometimes we don't even see this as worship as much as the singing time at church, right? Oh, baby, it is before there was ever a Hillsong song on the scene, humans call in the garden, proto-human, the way in which they worshiped was through this cultivation, through this work. So what do we see from the garden? One, human was created in the image of God, and you and I, they, the proto-human, was created to work, to have this job description. The other thing we learn, too, is that the first thing that God blesses is human and gives them a job description. Work doesn't matter. Have you read the Bible? Tom Nelson says this, in our work, we are to show off God's excellence, creativity, and glory to the world. We work because we bear the image of the one who works. So this is what we lean into. Work, just like creation, and just like humans, are good. And yet we also know the story lasts one page before it goes really bad. Genesis 3, you know this if you want to flip over one page. Genesis 3, 17. We see proto-human get into this thing where they want to, they rebel. They want to become their own gods. They do the one thing, the one freaking thing. And there's no judgment because I would do it too. The one thing they're not supposed to do. And you know, C.S. Lewis gives a beautiful picture of because of this, the world now is bent and broken. It was created good, human, the creation, work was all good. And yet now it's off kilter. Listen to the curses that come down from God to the humans. He says this, verse 17, Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you will shall eat of it all the days of your life. Listen to the language here. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Anybody got a little bit of thorn and thistle in their work? You want to be honest? So just, right? And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we get a picture here quickly that just like human is created good, just like the creation itself is created good, work is created good, Work is not the curse, but now human relationships with the earth is cursed. What we see, just like humans, in their dysfunction, in their disorientation because of the fall, work is different now. Can I get an amen? Anybody out there? You just, you think about your week. It's good, work is. It's redemptive, but it is under the curse, right? There's toil, there's Advil, there's back pain, there's migraines. Some of you are teachers. There's grade fours, right? Or whatever, grade threes. Junior high kids that just smell. You know what I'm talking about? I live with, live with a few of them, right? So here's the tension. Again, the human story very much mirrors the work story. The tension we feel in this present age is this. Work now is marked by frustration and failure. It's marked ne by never being satisfied for a lot of us in this room. This is the effect of the curse, never being satisfied. But I'd also say this. The tension we also feel is that work is redeemable. Even though it's broken and abused and you think about your own story, work is redeemable. 
It's good. It's good. It, it follows the creation story. It follows the human story. It's good, but it's broken. And so one of the things all of us just have to wrestle with, just to get kind of the wheels going for us, is exactly what we've lent into here. There is, there is a sense for us that we need to come around the reality that our work is a very important, of our, a very important part of our lives and is actually really the most integral way in which you and I will worship. Now, we'll talk uh, in a couple weeks, a few weeks when we're back in this room together, the tension of what do I do if I have a job that doesn't feel like my vocation? So some of us feel right now, you just, you, you hear about work and you just, you hear toil and thistle and you're like, yes, that is my life. And, you know, we live in the tension as well as we need to provide for our families. Paul has very, very strong language for provision and providing for our families and the reality that some of us have a deep calling to take the creation project forward in all sorts of ways. But all of us need to wrestle, just all I hope this morning, is to wrestle with the fact that this is actually the primary way in which we live under the rule and reign of God, is our work. And I would actually say this, I would say this idea of what we just came around a little bit in Genesis 1 and 2, this idea actually makes the church better. I really believe if we catch a beautiful, robust theology of work and that our lives matter in every single thing we do, not just trying to get everybody to come to a place on Sunday, the church will thrive out of this because we're doing what we're supposed to out of here. This is the tension for me. I, 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 saw, I saw growing up a little that, you know, one of the things often that I would hear in churches was kind of a narrative that these things were idols, right? I saw a lot of communities like paint people's jobs and their involvement as something that was bad, right? And I, I even saw it like I would see people who were very, very gifted and had all these vocational things going on in their lives and the beauty of vocation. And then we'd come and we would ask them on Sundays to kind of serve. And basically the goal was to get them to hand out a bulletin. Remember bulletins back in the day? Hand out bulletins on Sunday, right? Like that was the epitome of what we thought of as service. Now, we don't have bulletins anymore. And we need people to serve on Sundays. Don't hear me wrong. But I've just felt this tension over the course of my life, like what about the third of our lives given to our jobs? And what if you and I thought about how we even picked our jobs and lent into the reality of where God has placed us? I, I really believe that, um, that if we get this right, the church will be really good. It will. The, the tension I notice with pastors is there's this worry, like what if everybody goes out and does their thing? How is that going to affect the church? All I can say is I think these things work in tandem. When you find your job and your vocation and the beauty of that and you worship God in every single day, it will make us better. And this is also why we're not like super heavy here with programs. And it's partly because I read Genesis 1 and 2. We read Genesis 1 and 2 and go, Yes, church gatherings are beautiful and wonderful, and we need to lean into these things, but there is a life that we're called into to use our gifts, our abilities out in the world that God has put us. And I know I use this word a lot, but it's here, like to cultivate and to dress the world. We'll talk more about this down the road, but the image is we start in a garden. 
Humans are doing what God has called them to do. Look around, look at the buildings. We end up in a garden-like city, right? We end up in the new heavens and the new earth. And I actually think part of where we're heading is we're progressing somewhere. I don't think this world is going to be thrown out. I don't think the things that you're doing right now, if you're an educator or a nurse or you're a barista or a student or a a stay-at-home parent or whatever you are, I don't think those things go to waste. I actually think that those things bleed into eternity. We are going somewhere as humans, and John would give us the picture in his vision at the end of Revelation that heaven and earth are coming back together and that we are going to live and dwell. We may even get into a little bit of Drew Fess's opinion, that the things that you love right now, think about those things in a redeemed world. Are there going to be sports in the new earth? I don't have scripture and verse, but I got this gut feeling (laughs) that there are going to be a lot of things that I love to do right here and right now that imagine those things without the curse. I hate the city. Oh, you hate the city right now. Imagine a city filled with righteousness and justice where there is no need, where Jesus is at the center. Guys, this is what we're progressing to. And so this is a theology of work challenges us then to push off this, push against this idea that we're just hanging on to get to heaven. You know, working this really bad job just to get to heaven when I die someday. I think everything, every word, everything we do matters as we move towards a new heaven and a new earth. And for some of you, this is news because we've kind of painted a picture of heaven kind of being floating around like spirits aimlessly. Um, I remember the song, when we've been there 10,000 years, you know, Amazing Grace. And I remember thinking, 10,000 years of one, singing this song forever, right? As a kid thinking 10,000, like church music back in the day wasn't that good, all right? I was just thinking like this, this sounds like the other place. This does not sound like a good place, right? And this is what some of us feel, right? We think the new earth is going to be like an eternal worship service of just like singing songs. And you're like, man, after about 15 minutes, I'm pretty good. No, no, no. The story is we are, on, we are a part of this creation project. We are a part of this cultivation project moving towards a new heaven and a new earth. And if that is news, and I understand this is news to some of us, This is Orthodox Christian theology. This is the Bible, all right? So the idea of work like this, I think, one, it makes the church better. But two, I also think, you know, there's a lot of talk about revival and the presence of God. Don't know if you guys have been following the last few days, but it's been shown on social media. There's this little revival kind of sprouting out uh, at Ashbury Seminary in Kentucky, I think three or four straight days of worship and prayer and repentance and people, many people have not left that building in in four days. And I got to say, there's part of me, I'm into that. I'm as, honestly, I really feel like I'm as charismatic as they come. I do believe in a tangible presence of God when people are together. And if you want to call that revival and what God is doing, I'm I'm for that. I I am into that and very much affirm that. The other side of me, though, when we look at a theology of work from the garden, I think sometimes we want to look at revival as like a moment or a time. And there's place and space for that. Again, I'm totally into that. But I wonder if part of what God wants to do in the earth, a, a, a true revival, is image bearers cultivating and taking the creation project forward like we see the original call in the garden. 
Like, I wonder if that's actually, imagine every Jesus follower. I heard somebody say yesterday that two billion people will gather together to follow, you know, uh, to worship together on, on the weekend. And I don't know how true that stat is, but I just think that's really great. But imagine two billion people in this world taking their gifts and using their vocation and their work for the glory of God. That, friends, that brothers and sisters, that is revival. That is revival. I'm all for a, a tangible move of God where people are drawn to their knees and can't lo- leave a room. I, I, I'm all for that. But at some point, we've got to leave the room. At some point, we've got to leave the room. At some point in the next few minutes, unless, you know, something else happens, we will leave this room. And I think we need a revival in the idea that our work and our vocation actually matter. And I'll just say this as we come to the tables. And I just really, I do sense just a beautiful sense of, you know, openness this morning in our songs are, you know, are coming together. It has to start, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently uh, around Sabbath and rightfully so. So in our own context over the last few years, I've talked about, we have talked about Sabbath a lot. We have practiced Sabbath together and we will do that again. So I'm into that. But I notice, you know, there's certain trends sometimes. For some of us, we look at our parents' generation and we see the evangelical trends over the years and we kind of poke fun at it. But I notice now as I get older, we have our own trends, right? And there has been a lot of emphasis on Sabbath recently and that is beautiful. I often hear that the buzzword right now is we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, right? This is the thing. Talking to somebody randomly I didn't know and they were talking about their spiritual life and how they're trying to eliminate hurry. And while all of that is wonderful, I think actually where we start is with a place and posture of work. Now, for some of us, we need to learn how to Sabbath and rest. That's for some of us in this room, like all of us need to learn how to Sabbath. And for some of us in this room, hurry is actually a thing that needs to be pushed against and you need to do everything you can. But can I just say like professionally, like what I've seen over the last year, hurry is not as much the problem, I don't think, for the average person in our society as much as it is vocation. And what I mean by this is, you know, I see in a counseling context, certainly there are some people that need to, and I think some church people especially, really need to think about slowing down, taking a Sabbath, eliminating hurry. I'm for all of that. But I would say the majority of my exposure is actually the opposite. So we talk about marijuana addiction right now to the point where people can only sleep Um, when they use marijuana. Uh, Digital addiction, in particular things, and it sounds funny, but things like Netflix and video games where it's just aimless amounts of hours doing these things. And you think, oh yeah, you're probably thinking about the 16 or 17 year old kid. I am not, and there's no judgment of playing video games. I'm just telling you, you see marijuana addiction and digital addiction and a lack of job engagement. And I actually think the... These are the issues that many of us need to be thinking about. And I think as I sit sometimes, I really feel, as I look at a theology of work, a lot of times it's connected to the fact that there is no purpose in work. People are bored. And with boredom comes all sorts of coping and all sorts of ways in which we live out our story that often are disoriented. 
And so some of us, again, eliminate hurry. We're going to practice Sabbath in the summer. Beautiful, wonderful. But I think for some of us, the reason why this is so important today and what I see a lot oftentimes in disoriented patterns is there's not the right connection to meaningful work in the world. And there's a lot of people, and I don't say this judgmentally, that are just bored and finding all sorts of ways to direct their lives. And I think, what if we got back to the reality that we are called to do something in this world, to cultivate, to dress the world? Like, I love that image of just, yo, you have, you have a call. I don't know what it is, of significance in this world to light it up, dress this world up, right? And again, some of us, that may be different, the vocation calling. We may do some things in dressing up the world that we would never get paid a dollar for, and that's okay. That's going to be some of us in this room. For some of us, the alignment of our jobs and our vocation, we're going to get paid for, for what we love to do and how we're going to dress up the world. But either way, my hope is, is that we could just think through the call on our lives to join God in taking this thing where it wants to go. Thinking about your gifts, your talents, your abilities, the places and spaces that God has put you in. Some of you, you need to rest, and we'll talk about rest as part of this at some point. But the main thing is, for some of us, this would just spur on for us finding the right things over the next little while where it's not just putting on church services or not begging and pleading people to, you know, for you to all come here, though I would love, we'd love to be together every Sunday, but more than just that is unleashing people out into the world that God has created. Work is good. Work is broken. Humans, no matter what the Theo bros may tell you, humans are good, created in the image of God. Humans are broken. Creation is good. Creation is broken. And so in, in the meantime, we live and we work and we do these things in that tension. I'm not here to say we're just going to be able to all do it on our own, but I do think when we find what we're created for, when we move towards some things with our lives that can, can, can join God in stewarding, just like the nobodies, right? Just like the London cab driver and his wife, Oh, we're in a good line. As I saw Ava's face kind of question, wait a second, I'm like, oh, that, Ava, that's you and me, the nobodies that get to co-rule with God. Think about it. That's our work for this morning, just to get you thinking, to get your heart pumping, heart going about what God wants to do in your life over the next little while as you think about work, vocation, and calling. For maybe it's a little unsettling, it feels maybe a little unsettling right now, that's probably a good thing. But I do think God wants to move in and through our church in ways that are unimaginable, and a lot of it won't be obviously seen in this room. It'll be on the line. It'll be teaching, in the hospital, whatever you do, making the best coffee in the city, whatever it is. I hope that this stirs something within us just to say, yes, God, I'm open. I'm open to your work. Um, let's do this. Let's stand together. We're going to come to the tables, obviously, and uh, the team is going to come and lead us. Any of you guys need this? You okay? Okay, let me move it for you. 
why don't you just uh, take a moment, and I know we did this, we kind of did an audit with our, our money and our stuff, but maybe we could just this morning just open our lives to the fact that you're an image bearer. You and I are image bearers created in the image of God. And we're created to work. So do it in us, God. You know, my prayer has been all week that there would be no obligation, no heavy fist, God, or anything like that, but just an invitation, a reminder of what you did in the beginning. Though things look differently in a world that is broken at the seams, you still want to use us in this world to do good. But Jesus, now's the time as well, as we think about our own lives, our own work, what we're putting our hands to, this is also a time to be reminded of what you put your hands to. Maybe better put, God, what went through your hands, the nails that pierced your hands and your feet. You work on our behalf, Jesus, to bring us back. And so as we come to the table, little emblems, as we sing these songs and everything that is done today, God, may we be reminded here of your work on the cross, dying for us, for our sins, giving us new life. So that's what we do, God, this morning. We worship you, we give you praise, and Along the way, God, would you just um, open our minds and hearts now because of what you've done, what you're calling us into. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Okay, the table is open as always, and it's these little emblems. We're gonna just invite you to take the emblems, but um, myself, I know um, maybe Marco can help me as well. A few of us will just be at the back. I just sensed this morning that as we close over the next five or six minutes, that maybe, uh, obviously we want you to take communion and that's great, but I, I do sense some of you just need somebody to stand with you this morning in maybe some of the, the own tension in your own life of like being in a spot you don't want to be, things like that. You just need somebody to pray with you and, and just stand with you this morning. We're going to be available. That's kind of how we're going to close our morning. So lead us and we'll just be around and if you need prayer, just please come see, see us. Heads around too, she's at the back and if we can just stand in any way, um, we'd love to do that. But let's sing. The table is open. Let's close our gathering together. Lead us. You guys are amazing. Let's sing.